This is the Aesthetic Ecosystems Podcast. I'm Ben Hale, your virtual design guide to help you and your family have a healthy, beautiful landscape with less work. What's up and welcome to episode seven of the Aesthetic Ecosystems Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about what makes a healthy landscape. Before we get into it today though, I want to just chit chat a little bit. Uh, First, uh, I don't know if you can hear it or not, but uh, my voice is a little hoarse. I've got something going on, uh, something floating around our family right now. Unfortunately, my my little guys are fighting some snuffles and sniffles, whatever you want to call them, and uh, some coughs and stuff. Nothing nothing like a major cold or anything, but, uh, enough to kind of, you know, make their day-to-day stuff not so fun. And, um, looks like I might've got that or got something from work or whatever. So either way, um, I'm going to try and keep it a little bit short today for one, because last episode went kind of long and, uh, and I, I don't want to go over too much today, but also, uh, just to hopefully save my voice. And, um, for whatever reason, when I get colds and stuff, um, you know, I kind of lose my voice, which of course that's great for podcasting, right? A uh, good choice, Ben. Huh? Um, uh, yeah, I, I blame my mom for that. So, uh, anyway, uh, that's that. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to talk a little bit, I'll probably spend later talking in a more complete podcast about this, but, uh, and I've already kind of talked about it a little bit. I want to focus on what's your why for your landscape? Like, why do you really want to save time? Is it just that it's a burden um, to continue to work on stuff uh, when you could be doing something else? Um, or is it something deeper than that? What could what can you do to really motivate yourself to save time on your landscape and all that work that sometimes is kind of meaningless, let's face it. Um, but if there's a true motivator, it'll really, it'll really put the emphasis on um, trying to move forward with your landscape to still have something beautiful and attractive and to be desirable and maybe even rewarding, but at the same time, not to be a burden and an obligation. So again, this could be, you know, spending more time with your family or freeing up time to work on some of your passions in your life that maybe you don't get to work on or to work toward a life vision or a greater purpose. And, I really want to tie those together to what we're doing with our landscapes here because because to me they go hand in hand. Enjoying a beautiful space, having a space that kind of gives you energy and gives you life, I want to make sure you utilize that to its fullest extent and it's not wasted. That time's not wasted, that energy's not wasted. So just try and take some time to reflect on that and see it what really, what positive change do you want to make? Is it, is it more quality time with your family or your friends, or is it something different? Is it, is it trying out a new hobby or a new passion or spending more time to travel and see the world? Whatever it is, try and figure that out, and that'll really be a great driver for you to, to turn your landscape into something beautiful without tons of work that can free your life up, free your time up more, and overall just provide a positive benefit and at the same time provide a positive, healthy space for you. So really consider that. Um, It's very important to me, and I think it can also be very important to you. So try and reflect on that. Think about it maybe over the next couple days and see what kind of 
pops up for you is 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 being important and how your landscape and and what you can free yourself from in your landscape can really do for your life okay enough about that not that it's not important but uh i think i dwelt on it enough for for this episode and and let's get on right into uh what makes a healthy landscape? So, so far we've talked about in previous episodes, uh, we talked about what makes a low-maintenance landscape uh, and why that's important. What are the elements that free up um, all the ob- obligatory work in a conventional landscape to make a low-maintenance landscape? We talked about um, some good design principles that make a beautiful landscape. So what differentiates just a, you know, a so-so landscape or your typical uh, postage stamp lot from something that's truly beautiful and really just maybe even just it's a subconscious thing, but for whatever reason you're drawn to a beautiful landscape. What what are those elements of good design that really uh, make a landscape beautiful and how can you apply that to your yard? So we talked about what makes a low-maintenance landscape. We talked about what makes a beautiful landscape. So today we're talking about what makes a healthy landscape. And remember, our tagline for this show is having healthy, beautiful landscapes with less work for you and your family. And all of those elements are very important. To me, they all tie together into um, improving your life and your lifestyle. And... And so let's let's focus on the health piece today. What what does it mean to have a healthy landscape for you and your family? And how do we get that? Okay, I'm going to kind of preface this episode with a, just a little bit of background on my personal views. And this is goes beyond just landscape stuff and into just kind of part of partly my worldview. And this is something that's developed for me as I've matured over the past um, several years. And I kind of have come to this realization that this piece is important to me. And this, what I'm talking about here is a general worldview for me that natural is better and healthier. And this isn't always true. It doesn't... um, play out in everything I do, but it's a general principle that I live by that, that natural, whatever, if it's a natural process, natural materials, um, generally speaking, um, or if it's mimicking nature in some way, generally speaking, natural is better and healthier. And what I mean by that is, um, so often recently in society, we've, we've gotten to synthetic processes or whatever, um, or problem solution mindset that sometimes I feel like is a singular focus and that potentially the answer can also be found in nature or the problem solution process may fix a problem, but it doesn't fix the, uh, as a, or fix the symptom, uh, but doesn't necessarily fix the underlying problem. And this isn't always true. Um, there's definitely exceptions to this. And uh, I'm not saying this needs to be your worldview. But for me, this is kind of how I perceive things. And it's definitely influenced the way I go about my landscape design process. And it's f- uh, a frame of reference for how I perceive things. So um yeah, I, I just want you can, to consider that for yourself if that resounds with you, or maybe it doesn't. And either way, it's okay. 
um, and consider how you feel about things and processes and, and what they mean to you and how that might affect your approach to landscaping. So the way I want to approach things today in this episode is first kind of talk about maybe some of the problem areas or potential health issues uh, with conventional landscape processes or your typical yard, as we may call it, and maybe why that could be a problem. And this is both, I I want to approach this episode from two angles. One is health for you and your family. And secondly, health for the plants in your landscape. And they both kind of, there's a little bit of overlap there, and I'll try and tease that out a bit. But uh, I don't want to talk in too broad uh, of categories, but for the sake of time, I'm going to have to go through some a little bit of generalization here. And so I may be talking about both health for you and your family and or health for plants. And I'll try and uh, mention which one I'm talking about if there's a certain specific area. But So let's talk about some of the problem areas with your typical yard with regard to health. The first and foremost is the use of chemicals. Uh, And by chemicals, I mean synthetically derived chemicals of both fertilizers and pesticides. And these pesticides are two broad categories. One is herbicides that uh, kill plants or treat plants. And the second is uh, pesticides that treat, generally speaking, insects. But there are also uh, ones that treat, you know, different molds or fungus issues and occasionally bacterial issues as well. So the reason these chemicals can be a problem for health. Again, there's two categories here. And let's talk about the health potential human impact to health first. A lot of these chemicals are endocrine disruptors or enzyme inhibitors that essentially they disrupt pathways in the target organism's life cycle uh, to live properly, essentially. And so it disrupts that life cycle, ends up usually killing the organism. Most of these products are incredibly effective at doing their target job. Unfortunately, they can have side effects, and a lot of these side effects are often disputed. So I'm definitely asking you to do your own research here, make your own conclusions. These are my general viewpoints, and and I'm perfectly fine with you having a different viewpoint. These often come as synthetic concentrates, so they're pretty concentrated ingredients, and they can pose a significant health risk to your family. Uh, I encourage you, if you use these chemicals, to read the warning labels carefully. Make sure you use it according to the warning label and the directions, and to minimize exposure to you and uh, your family and the animals that come through your landscape as well as the insects that come through your landscape. So organisms in general. Uh, You've heard a lot in the news recently about these massive bee uh, die-offs as people spray these flowering plants and bees come to feed on these these plants and end up dying in thousands upon thousands of numbers and and really disrupting uh, populations of, of insects. 
So uh, as an example, even Roundup, which is in the conventional world, is is considered generally very safe as a herbicide. So if you're not familiar with Roundup, it's uh, the active ingredient is called glyphosate, and it is a general plant um, uh, uh, pathway uh, herbicide, and it is really good at killing most plants uh, pretty effectively um, and getting down, even killing the roots as well as the foliage. And so for its intended use, it's very effective. And generally speaking, it's labeled as a pretty safe um, thing, but there's also a lot of disputed uh, evidence coming out that indicates it may not be as safe as it's often uh, described. And so I'm just suggesting that we exercise caution and you can choose to make the conclusions you want, but um, there's potential risk it's not entirely known uh, with a lot of these chemicals whether or not there's a long-term risk to yourself, your family, or uh, the environment as well. So just things to consider here. Some of these chemicals can linger for quite some time in the landscape. Some of them are designed to, to do that, uh, to have extended release over time. And others uh, don't linger as long, but in general, uh, it's important to consider what the long-term effects or the long-term exposure may be to some of these chemicals. So you see people's yards get sprayed or whatever, and after, if it's a professional doing it, you see them put these signs out uh, to indicate that you need to stay off the line. There's a reason for that. Um, that It's actually a known risk that they're required to uh, label that. If you're doing it yourself uh, or other people in, uh, in your neighborhood are doing it themselves, they not, might not necessarily put these signs out but again, there's a reason uh, that it, it can pose a significant risk to your family or your pets to uh, come in contact with some of these chemicals. It's been uh, shown as well that kids are, children are more susceptible to uh, exposure to these, some of these chemicals. Again, here I'm making broad generalizations. But there is research, even well-published, acknowledged research that these companies uh, know about and and put on their warning labels that uh, some of these chemicals are unsafe and need to be treated appropriately. So just be careful when you're using them. I prefer just to avoid chemical use in general. Uh, I'd rather be on the safe side when it comes to my family and whether or not they're exposed to something that's potentially risky, then to be on the other side and assume something's safe just because there's research that hasn't come out that's been credible enough to show it's uh, unsafe. I'd, I'd rather just try and correct an issue that has, might have a deeper problem as opposed to try and fix the symptom with a short-term solution that might be unsafe. So I encourage you to, if, if this is something that's uh, a point of contention for you or you're not sure where you stand or um, are just curious about it, I encourage you to do your own research. There's a significant amount of bias in this space, so it's, it's really difficult to try and find unbiased information on this. Um, so I just encourage you to try and have an open mind to consider both there's generally two sides to this issue. Um, so consider both sides of this uh, issue of chemical use and determine where you stand and what's healthy 
what means health for you and your family. And, and really just consider, um, especially if you have children or pets, what the effect uh, on them might be. So here's a, I'm going to run through a kind of a list of a few more things about chemicals here, and we'll try and move on to talk about some other things, and then how to treat your landscape with health. When you're applying chemicals, if you're applying chemicals, uh, be careful about overspray. So uh, contacting non-targeted things if you are using chemicals. Also, think about the bigger picture. So is there a potential for runoff? A lot of uh, chemicals indicate that you should only spray uh, within a certain period before rain is predicted. It's very common that I see lawn treatment companies spraying uh, just before rain and and that's actually contraindicated on a lot of labels and it's something that's not supposed to be done because uh, especially before they're dry a lot of these chemicals can run off and get into the water stream waterways and into groundwater or surface water and can cause uh, larger effects on aquatic organisms and greater environmental impact. So a lot of studies have shown that the greatest uh, amount of uh, pesticide and herbicide and fertilizer runoff occurs from home, home landscapes of all things. There's a significant amount that comes from agriculture, but a lot of times agriculture areas, uh, farmers and applicators in those areas will more closely follow what's required, whereas a lot of homeowners don't necessarily follow the EPA guidance on application. So the runoff and wider effects of some of these chemicals are actually more due to home landscapes. So I I strongly encourage you, if you choose to use this uh, chemical treatment route, to make sure you're doing it in a a responsible manner. There can be significant uh, big picture effects of these chemicals uh, to aquatic organisms, um, algae blooms, are largely a result of home landscape use of synthetic fertilizers. Uh, primarily, the I, I think it's the um, the phosphorus content that leads to the algae blooms. I can't don't quote me on that, but uh, I think that's what's the main driver for that. Um, so just consider, yeah, when you're applying fertilizer as well, that you're doing it in a way that it will stay on your landscape and not get into the sewers or whatever. Um, there's actually been shown too uh, that. Sometimes there's traces of these herbicides and pesticides that can show up in municipal water. So even after water's treated, uh, sometimes this stuff can linger around significant amounts of time. Um, and there's, of course, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, story of DDT uh, with Rachel Carson in the 1960s. Uh, she came out and, and started to discover that DDT, which was a common insect uh, treatment to take care of insect problems, it started accumulating in certain organisms and primarily in uh, raptors, so predatory birds. And it started uh, causing these massive effects where these predatory birds weren't able to produce offspring because they couldn't lay eggs that were hard enough uh, to withstand uh, the elements. And so we started losing massive amounts of uh, raptors in the North America, and we're just starting to bounce back from that. So, um, again, sometimes we just don't know the effects 
of uh, some of these chemicals until potentially it could be too late. So um, that's some of the broader stuff. Um, Let's talk about uh, the effect on plants themselves. Again, these chemicals, like I mentioned earlier, they are very effective in treating the symptom of the problem. But they don't always treat the root cause of the problem. And generally speaking, you get a uh, an unnatural boost or an unnatural benefit uh, that might not last long term. And so it can actually cause dependency on a certain product. So let's talk about fertilizers specifically first. So fertilizers do show a boost uh, when they're used, uh, usually in plant growth. So you get additional foliage. Uh, the, the plant generally looks healthier. Uh, so consider grass, right? If you spray grass with a, a, a general uh, lawn fertilizer, you see a significant benefit in growth. Um, generally, though, it's a short-term benefit. You're not necessarily um, giving overall health benefit to the plant. Most often, though, there is a trade-off to this short-term benefit. So there's actually an expense to the long-term health. Uh, Generally speaking, you get reduced soil health. So some of these uh, fertilizers are actually potent enough where they can kill uh, your beneficial soil health. So this is your bacteria and your fungi specifically, or fungi. Look, guys, I like to say fungi. Uh, I'll probably use them interchangeably. Uh, Hopefully I don't uh, stop and say both every time. But um, your molds and your yeast uh, in your soil, it can kill these organisms. And they're very important for uh, beneficial interactions with plants. And so once you start to lose that interaction is when you start to have more health problems pop up. They can also cause an imbalance within the plant itself between root and vegetation growth. And it's very important to maintain this balance so that the plant is properly supported on both ends from the nutrients it attains through the surface uh, interactions with the roots and the soil, as well as the amount of photosynthesis and light capturing and basically of the the above ground machinery. So it's important to maintain that balance for the plant. And if we disrupt it, you can cause health problems there as well. Okay. What about natural fertilizers? There's a lot of these so-called organic or natural fertilizers out there. And are they good for your plants, right? They're natural, so they must be good, right? Well, yes and no. It's not always the case. Some of these uh, branded fertilizers you can get, they're actually not much different sometimes than your typical NPK that you might be getting off the shelf. So some of these uh, organic ones or whatever, they might just be a concentrated form of fertilizer that's derived from more natural processes as opposed to a petroleum-derived process. And so they might still have the same issues as your typical uh, fertilizers, your miracle grow, or whatever that you might get off the shelf. And so it's important to consider um, what type of um, amendment or fertilizer you're looking at. If it's something that is a kind of more natural source, meaning like it's a uh, like a compost type amendment or um, something like that, it might provide a longer term uh, release of similar nutrients, but in a more balanced way that is more uh, closely associated with something 
that might be present naturally in the soil, in a healthy soil ecosystem. It also might be something where it's less harmful to the soil itself with uh, it doesn't necessarily kill the bacteria and fungi in the soil. So it's something to consider there. Um, I have to speak in generalizations here because it's it's something that's so broad. There's so many different types of amendments that it's something you just kind of have to try and diagnose and figure out yourself without me going into details on every single brand of every single product. The other thing to, to mention here is some amendments are actually very beneficial for soil health, and they are also benefits for plants at the same time. So those types of amendments are better. Again, it's something... With a low-maintenance landscape, it's something you want to hopefully do maybe in the short term for establishment or to restore health uh, of something that might be out of balance, but uh, something you'd want to avoid use of in the long term just for the own, your own sake of work, even though it might be a healthier uh, type of uh, amendment or chemical use. The other piece here um, is compost. It is essentially a natural fertilizer or amendment. It's a broken down uh, process of organic material, usually rich in soil life. So you have microcrustaceans, you have protozoa, um, you have fungi, you have bacteria, hopefully in a good balance with each other uh, in the healthy organisms as well because there's healthy and unhealthy ones. So hopefully you have healthy ones in a good compost. And you also have a, a good balance of nutrients present. Um, you have good amount of organic matter present. You have humic acids present. So all of these things are very important for uh, good plant health. And it's kind of in a concentrated form in compost. So it's definitely something you don't want to add uh, at a heavy amount. It, it can actually uh, hurt plants as well. But uh, it's a gentler amendment than some of the uh, synthetic chemicals that you might have. Okay, on to herbicides and pesticides. These often are used to, again, kind of cure a short-term issue or a specific issue. So it might be like a leaf mold that you have, might be a certain plant uh, invasion that you have, or uh, a certain insect invasion that you have. Maybe you're overrun with aphids, for example. But a lot of times these create a long-term problem. There's a couple reasons for this. One, they don't fix an underlying, uh, the underlying problem itself. Generally, they fix the symptom. So you might think, if you have aphids, right, that that's the problem, that you have aphids. But it could actually be a, um, a much deeper issue. You might have a weakened plant that the aphids are attracted to. You might have an out-of-balance predator-prey relationship where there's nothing there to eat the aphids before they become a problem. So a lot of times the problem you think you're solving, you might just be kind of kicking it down the road a little bit farther, and you're going to continue to have that issue or other issues that are, that surface with that plant or with your landscape as a whole. Another thing they potentially create a long-term problem with, especially when it comes to pesticides that are killing, uh, targeting insects most uh, specifically, uh, or I guess, or that are targeting um, uh, a certain type of uh, microorganism like a, a fungus, that usually when you use these products, you're not only killing the target organism, but you could potentially be killing their predators. So it could be if it's uh, a, an antifungal spray, you might not uh, only be killing the, the 
targeted leaf mold uh, that you have or rust or whatever, but you're also killing all the beneficial organisms that could potentially have outbalanced that problem in the first place. So you want to build resilience as opposed to uh, just try and fix the problem by killing everything. Same goes with the insect piece. So if you're targeting, say, aphids, since I already mentioned it, you might be killing the ladybugs that feed on the aphids. And so uh, by killing the pest insect, you're also potentially killing a lot of predator insects that you could be building up in your, your landscape to prevent the problem in the first place. So it's just something to consider here. It's it's generally speaking, it's more difficult to fix the underlying problem, but it's very important to think about it and consider how you could do that. The last bit I want to say here is that pests, they're often given a bad rap and for good reason. But the other way to think about this is that pests are generally speaking, they're indicators of health. And so if you try and look at it from a different perspective and to really diagnose what's the true root of the problem here, uh, it can go a long way toward fixing the, the, the overall problem and give you better overall plant health in your whole landscape as opposed to trying to fix one specific problem. And I think it's the next episode. I'll actually be talking about this in a lot more depth, um, but I just want to kind of drop that here. And I guess for a, a, an analogy... Think about um, like food allergies, right? <laughs> so here, here's a good story. So I have a, a close friend who he uh, <laughs> he gets really, really, really bad gas after eating uh, certain certain foods, and so there's kind of two ways to look at this problem, right? It's it could be he could just uh, continue to try and fix the problem by, you know, something like Beano, right? That could take care of the problem. But with diagnosing what types of food he's eating at what times and when he has the problem, he's kind of gotten to a root cause that he has some sort of issue with dairy, which is not uncommon. And so he's finding, he has to figure out, okay, do I try and fix the root cause and to uh, more conscientiously uh think about when he's consuming dairy or does he continue to consume dairy and just fix the uh the later problem of the uh the gas the symptom that's uh coming through so it's kind of an example of you could choose to just work on the symptom but if you dig into what's the underlying problem what's causing the symptom to happen it could lead to better overall health and uh, I suggest you do that with your landscape. If you have a bad gas issue, too, I, I would suggest looking deeper as well. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's talk about maybe um, we definitely dwelt quite a bit on chemicals. But there are other health issues with your landscape that I, I really suggest you consider. And, and with our landscape, when we moved into our home, a lot of these uh, issues were also present or still are present. So it's just something to consider when you're trying to frame your landscape as being a healthier landscape. These are definitely important elements to consider. So first, what about water features? What sort of water features do you have in your landscape or in neighboring landscapes that might be a health risk to 
you, your family, or uh, maybe even your pets. So a lot of these things I'm talking about here are significant risks to pets or kids. And water features is one of those where uh, if you have a, a pool or a pond or whatever, they can be a significant health risk to your children. Um, sadly, there's so many children that uh, drown each year due to uh, somehow being left unattended accidentally, usually, and and they wind up in some sort of water feature or falling in a pool or something and, and tragically drown. So it's important to consider uh, safety with your landscape and how you can somehow protect your children or your pets from uh, getting into that situation uh, in the first place. And so for us, our neighbors, we have a couple of neighbors that have pools and that have uh, ponds. And so we have to be uh, extra vigilant for there's one pond specifically near us that is not fenced. And so we have to be extra vigilant with our children when we're outside to make sure that uh, they aren't at risk for that sort of thing. Okay, holes. We have a few holes in our landscape that can be uh, just a general hazard for walking or running, especially in the dark, uh, which has happened a few times, uh, as just a falling or tripping hazard. And so it's just something to consider. Can you somehow remove or cover that hole uh, or just in general tripping hazards throughout your landscape? And these could even be roots. So how do you direct uh, foot traffic away from roots that maybe are raised above the ground that could become an issue? What about stagnant water? Um, and then I'm not necessarily talking about ponds and stuff here, but, but just areas where water can pull up. They can become a uh, breeding ground for mosquitoes. They can become stagnant and uh, have uh, non-beneficial organisms that are uh, breeding there, proliferating, and uh, can be a toxic hazard to your animals. Um, if your kids get into it they and they might drink it or whatever, it could ca- um, cause sickness, sickness as well. Um, uh, but yeah, and also uh, just for mosquito breeding, uh, it's becoming more of a more more and more of a concern uh, with mosquitoes. So just consider that. What about electrical uh, hazards? So are your outlets protected? Are they in an area that uh, kids won't be accessing them? Do you have any electrical that's maybe shallow, shallowly buried or not properly protected uh, that should be fixed or repaired? Uh, things like that. Uneven pavement. This is a common one. We have a driveway, which we haven't yet replaced uh, because, you know, driveways are a significant expense. But it's something important to consider that uh, maybe what we'll have to do is kind of shave it down. But the pads have become uneven to the point where they're a tripping hazard. And uh, do you have a driveway or uh, pathways, walkways that uh, pose similar hazards where there's uneven pavement that uh, can be a danger for anybody, especially uh, kids and elderly people walking down them. Dead branches are a common one. Uh, do you have anything, you know, in the woods, these are, or well, not just in the woods, but these are called widow makers for a reason. So uh, do you have any dead branches or parts of trees that should be removed before they become an issue uh, with falling on somebody or something. So just make sure you uh, always look up and see what you have in your trees and if they need to be taken care of. Glass, we found a ton of glass in our backyard after we moved in, and we're still finding it occasionally, glass and shards of uh, glass 
pieces of metal, just general things that can, you know, poke your feet. And so we actually have to, I would love to have a landscape where, uh, my kids can just run around barefoot and, uh, we're not quite there yet because we continue to find little bits of stuff each year that can be a risk. So, uh, if you have any of that in your landscape, definitely try and remove it if you can. And it's, it's so difficult, but just keep an eye out for it and try and avoid creating situations that might cause some of that. Uh, what about size of railings? This is also something in our landscape that we have is is our, we have a deck. It's a second story deck and there's a staircase going up to it. The railings aren't properly spaced, the, uh, the, the, the supports on the side railings. And um, they're, they're gapped too wide to where they're a hazard for children. And so just something to consider as well. Also, are they the correct height? A lot of times with do-it-yourself type projects, people don't necessarily build stuff to code. And so it's important to think that you're building a railing high enough to where it's not a, uh, a fall hazard. So make sure it's high enough to where if somebody bumps into the railing, they're not more likely to topple over it as opposed to being something that can protect them. What about a fire pit, especially in dry regions? Make sure your fire pit area is clear from spark hazards. So you cleared it of uh, dried material, dead material uh, within a certain radius as well as above it. So make sure if you have sparks coming from your fire or coals or whatever that they're not going to catch something and cause a, a larger problem. Okay guys, that's enough about the health issues. Let's talk about healthy family and healthy plants and, and what causes um, or what, what we can do to build health in our landscape. And man, I've, I've looked down and I realized this is definitely a long episode. I've gone a long time on the problems. I actually intended to go pretty quickly on that, but you can tell, um, that these things are so important to me. Um, I had to kind of dwell on some of the, the negative stuff first, unfortunately, but, um, overall it's to kind of give us a mindset of to what to build toward. And, um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Unfortunately, I'm going to go maybe a little bit faster on this stuff than I originally tend intended, but um, I don't want to spend too much time here as well. So, uh, and my my voice, I can feel it kind of going already. So uh, let's let's get through this. Okay. So for health, with a healthy family, there are there is one guiding principle for me in how I perceive landscapes and uh, healthy landscapes. And that is if it's safe for kids. If it's something that's safe for kids, it's most likely safe for adults or your pets as well. And and me having three uh, young children and seeing how they interact with spaces, um, especially landscapes, is, is something that has been in, very insightful in revealing for me and, and how I perceive uh, my landscape and other landscapes that are designed and how they're healthy. And the examples I have here is, I know this is, <laughs> here's a good story for you guys. So as a four-year-old, uh, there is a age-old story that I'm told. When I was a, yeah, I was four, we were g- going fishing And, uh, so I have two older brothers that were with me. My grandfather was with me and I was fishing or, well, supposedly fishing. I was there and 
so we have our, you know, our little bucket of worms and we're bobber fishing for our, hopefully, you know, trying to catch a bass, right? But uh, more likely we're pulling in bluegills left and right. And my brothers turn around and suddenly wonder, where'd all the fishing bait go? <laughs> well, here I, I'm sitting on the dock with the, uh, the bait pail in my hand and uh, it turns out I ingested all the worms in the bucket for whatever reason i guess you know what i haven't tried it since but i guess uh, worms are a pretty good delicacy uh tastes great and so i highly recommend them haven't tried them since i was four but but anyway my point here is that no matter what no matter how careful you are with your landscape kids are going to ingest part of your landscape so if your landscape is safe enough where you can eat the dirt then your landscape is good and that's kind of how I perceive things. I've definitely seen my boys, uh, while I try not to let them do it, I've seen them put uh, grass in their mouths, uh, little bits of dirt in their mouths. And uh, you know what, though? At the end of the day, I know that my landscape is safe enough for that to happen. And so kind of try and use that frame of reference for your landscape. Is it something safe enough to eat? Not that I recommend eating anything in the landscape, unless you have an edible landscape, but just having that mindset can really make a difference on how you build health in your landscape. So <laughs> I guess with that, what I'm saying is eat the dirt and eat the grass. And disclaimer here, I'm not really recommending that. I guess I have to say that, right? Um, but uh, what I'm saying here yeah, is, is design your landscape healthy enough where if that were to happen, that it's not a health hazard. As far as healthy plants go, I've really, you know, drilled this in pretty much every episode we've talked about already, but healthy plants, what that means for you is less work. It also means less plant stress because your plants are happier. They're living in a way that they're supposed to live, that they're, they're designed or evolved to live. And for that reason, a healthy plant means a happy plant means less stress on the plant, which means a happier you because you don't have to sit there trying to figure out why your plant's not growing properly. Of course, this also means greater resilience to disturbance. So whatever this disturbance may be, maybe it's temperature extremes, maybe it's heat, you know, and cold, or it could be water extremes. But if your plant is, is for lack of a better term, if your plant is more well-rooted, if it's living happily, it's more likely to, uh, bounce back from stressful situations compared to a weakened plant that will manifest maybe disease symptoms or or partial death or complete death. And so greater resilience to disturbance is what you get with healthy plants. And you also, of course, they're less dependent on medicines. And those are all the chemicals we talked about. We spent probably too much time talking about, but those essentially are plant medicines, if you think about it. And so the healthier, happier plants don't need the medicine in the first place. And that's a great place to be. So a last piece I want to touch upon here before wrapping up is that biodiversity is a good thing. You know, it, designed properly, it's not only a good thing, but it's an appealing thing. So in your designed landscape, how can you have the plants you want and also get diversity at the same time? So what I'm talking about here is that plants are evolved to live in a in their natural ecosystem. They're evolved to live with other plants 
that are, generally speaking, very diverse. But going beyond plants, they're also evolved to live in systems where there's interactions with uh, insects and microcrustaceans and protozoa and nematodes and bacteria and fungus and and yeasts, all sorts of things that that build this network, this food web of intricate organisms, of interdependent relationships that lead to overall health in a good balanced ecosystem. And so if we can get this amount of biodiversity or some semblance of that biodiversity that these plants are evolved to live with in our own landscape, then we've hit a home run. We've won. Our plant is happy. It's healthy. It's going to live on. It's going to be better resilient to stress. It's not going to need inputs of chemicals or time or work. And you're going to have your beauty that you want. So when you have your biodiversity, you're more strong, you're stronger, you're more resilient you're also closer to nature. So it kind of goes back to that first point I made with my viewpoint is that generally speaking, natural is better. The plant evolved in a natural setting. And so if we provide something close to its natural setting, it's going to be happier and you're going to have your soil, your healthy soil that supports that plant. Okay. So I'm going to wrap up there. So overall, my point here is that healthy plants mean happy plants Healthy landscape means healthy people uh, when it comes to interacting through landscape. Uh, if your, your landscape is safe enough uh, to enter your kid's mouth, <laughs> maybe not to you know, be swallowed, but if, if your kid gets a handful of grass and dirt in its mouth, his or her mouth, is, is that okay? Or are you going to be freaking out? If, if so, maybe then your landscape's not healthy enough. Maybe you could work on that. And so I'm going to leave you with that. If this stuff, it, you know, trying to get a healthy landscape sounds overwhelming to you, I'm going to suggest you can, as one option, what you can do is I am open to consultations right now. So you can go to aestheticecosystems.com slash consulting uh, to have a chance to work one-on-one with me digitally. Uh, So you can sign up there to have a consultation with me. I can help you get started on this stuff. And if if something, if you're just looking to get started right now without having to do too much, what you can do is I've put together an awesome resource on how you can save 27 hours of work in your landscape with just some simple habit changes. You can check that out at aestheticecosystems.com slash 27 hours, and that'll take you to this awesome resource. Okay, now it's time to talk about the launch party, guys. Uh, excuse me, not party, but parte. Uh, the launch parte is for the first two months of the show from March 11th through May 11th, 2018. I want to have some fun uh, to help spread, a wor- spread the word about the show. Uh, I really appreciate your enthusiasm and interest in this show, and I want to get you guys involved and have some fun while we're doing it. So this is a chance to have some fun to uh, for us to get connected, uh, to win some prizes, and uh, let's talk about the prizes before we talk about what we're doing. So what are the prizes? 
Weekly, I am offering a free consultation with me, Ben Hale, which is normally a $99 value. So uh, one person each week uh, that gets involved in the launch parte uh, gets a free consultation. I'm also giving away a free offer for one of my eBooks, 10 Ways to Get More Beauty with Less Work, which is a $19 value. Uh, next, the grand prize. There is only one of these we're giving away through this whole launch party. So at the end of the launch parte, the Organic Lawn Care Manual by Paul Tukey. So Paul Tukey himself has offered to give away one free book to a lucky winner uh, that's getting involved in this launch party. Uh, And this book is all about how to manage a healthy lawn from anything from a golf course style lawn to your uh, low maintenance lawn, which of course is something I prefer here on this show, right? I own this book. I've read this book multiple times. I've given it away. It's a kind of a a tattered and worn version that I have. Um, And uh, I, I, I use some of these practices in my own lawn. So I I love this book and I highly um, promote it as well. And you'll hear me talk about it throughout the show. Uh, But Paul Tukey has been kind enough to offer a copy of his book as a grand prize. And there's also a special surprise for everybody that's... uh, going to be getting involved in the launch party. The Rolling River Nursery out of California has offered a, a special surprise for everybody that's involved. The Rolling River Nursery is a, a USDA certified organic nursery. So I went online and I looked around for nurseries that have online availability shipped through the continental US and have some great offerings. And Rolling River Nursery has been kind enough to become involved with our launch party. And they're not only are they online availability, but they also are certified organic, which means they don't use any harmful herbicides or pesticides that you have to be concerned with your family about. And so what you're getting is a safe and healthy plant. They also offer a ton of edible plants and trees and shrubs, cacti and succulents. So um, they offer several trees and shrubs that are adaptable throughout the most of the United States. So definitely worth checking them out. And in addition, these guys are also involved with a, uh, a nonprofit in Southern California to help local food movements called plantingjustice.org. So if you want to learn more about them, uh, you can go to rollingrivernursery.com. And I also want to give a shout out to uh, Paul Tukey's website, uh, for his organic lawn care manual and his other works is paultukey.com, P-A-U-L-T-U-K-E-Y. And uh, to sum up, guys, okay, you want to learn how to get involved with this uh, launch party? Go over to aestheticecosystems.com slash pod launch. And that's P-O-D-L-A-U-N-C-H. There's a link in the show notes. Um, and that's that's going to give you all the instructions on how to get involved. Uh, there's two ways specifically to get involved. One is through uh, sharing with your uh, peeps on Facebook. And the other is through leaving a review on iTunes. Both of these are going to help spread the word about the show and get other people, other friends listening to it as well. And I sure appreciate your help here. And and likewise, uh, this is going to be a fun time. So, uh, so go on over and to Aesthetic ecosystems.com slash pod launch to get involved. Overall, I just want to say thanks so much for listening. I hope you this, this podcast gives you the inspiration to change your life through your landscape. Go on over, check out the show notes. Uh, there we'll have links to uh, the 27 hours guide to consultation. I suggest that you subscribe if you like the show. Uh, that'll get these episodes delivered right to you when they come out. And also, if you like the show, consider going over to iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite listening device and leave a review. 
These reviews are awesome at getting us to reach more people that care about their landscapes and want to make a positive difference in their life and also their landscape. And to wrap up, I just want to say thanks for tuning in and make sure you live with passion and make tomorrow better than today.